It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Hey, Chris. Hey, Andrew. <laughs> Happy um, send November. Yeah, what is it? <laughs> I don't know. Do we have a pun for November? It used, to, it used no. to be too cold to climb in November, but now it's like it's the new Rocktober. You told me you sent your project this weekend. That's why I said that. I did actually send. I, I pulled one out. Point, point for the olds. Nice, dude. I am still living vicariously through your climbing achievements, so well, this is really a double do send. <laughs> so I had to pull it off. I couldn't let you down. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. I feel I feel like I sent something really important this weekend nice. too. <laughs> okay, so we are here to review a listener recorded voice memo about an incident at a climbing gym. Now, I've listened to this, but you have not. That's right. I have not gotten around to it. Okay. It's kind of long, and we're going to just play it and maybe stop it and start it and maybe bleep some stuff out, because I think that they kind of ask for some of the details about their names and locations and stuff to kind of be bleeped out. So the gist of it is like a, a belay test gone awry, and so I thought it would be a fun way to just start off our episode today. Sounds good. I mean, you're a big fan of, of the belay test, right, Chris? You like you yeah, always I, like always have great experiences every yeah. time you go into the gym. <laughs> I've actually I've gotten like I think I've gotten pretty good at what I need to do, and I and I mentally prepare myself to belay completely differently than I belay at the crag, which which takes some. I mean, after fucking thirty three years of climbing, it takes some mental control to belay wrong. Or at least you know different from what yeah, I play differently, normally yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to concentrate quite a lot to do it the way I'm supposed to do it in the gym. Yeah, for it's those like minutes, eating with your left hand or something. Exactly. Like. That's exactly right. It is actually because my belay, my break hand is is opposite. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we won't get into that whole thing about how I belay wrong with the grigri. I don't need to relive that trauma. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's anyway. what your uh, direct messages are for. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm 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 actually kind of a fan because it like I go in there a little I got to be a little frosty um, mm-hmm. when I when I rock up to my belay test if it's if I'm gonna pass it. I like that there's always this little um, jolt of the unknown. Like mm-hmm. every time you go into a gym now, it's like, what am mm-hmm. I gonna get? Mm-hmm. Like what kind of person am I gonna? Yeah, get? is Tyler gonna? It's like <laughs> Tyler gonna be there or is it gonna be more of a Chad? Like who's doing the, who's doing the, who's going to do the test? Um, all right. So I will play this story. I've, I have listened to this and it's mm-hmm. a doozy. So um, I won't reveal any details to uh, spoil it because I want to 
see your reaction in, in real time. So, okay. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so today's t- Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday the twenty fourth, and this is, and we're climbers from. Um, we have climbed a long time, more or less. We're both in our mid twenties, but uh, we've climbed for a while. Um, and experienced climbers like climbed El Cap twice and climbed Half Dome twice and. Yeah, we put a few no. routes in the Beartooths, and I've climbed a decent amount, and so we're definitely like we know what we're seasoned doing. Seasoned climbers, yeah, like, to an extent, more and, or less. Or, yeah, more or less. Yeah, um, and three years ago, got hit by a rock in the head, and we've been kind of on, on the road to recovery since then, more or less. Uh, she got a bad head injury, and she's had multiple concussions in the past, and. It's just like kind of a shitty situation, but we climb a lot because it's like relatively safe, all things considered. Really, not new route in the Beartooth isn't necessarily that safe, but it's still fun. But uh... all right, these people are not experienced enough to know that Montanans don't talk about Montana climbing. Like you're not supposed to say, <laughs> you're not supposed to name areas. You're not, yeah. So I don't. I just wanted to, you know, just to sort of uh, bring that up for a second, because that's a big no-no. It's yeah. Just, they, it's Montanans talking about Montanan climbing at all, naming an area. Um, and then, of course, the Beartooths, like, all right, anyway. Yeah, they're outing themselves right now for, exactly. for trouble. So. The Montanans are going to be, like, <laughs> reviewing their voices to be like, is that Andrew? Is that Chris? Is that Bob? Who is that? They're not supposed to talk about that shit. Anyway. All right. So let's keep going. Like, for the most part, climbing is pretty safe. And it's not, I don't know, it just suits us. So we still climb with the head injury. And anyway, we're in Rochester, Minnesota right now, visiting Mayo Clinic for the first time to see some doctors to try and get head fixed, more or less. (laughs) And we went to the gym. And we were getting our lead belay test. And this is the story. So we were getting our lead belay test. And this kid who was kind of, I don't know, he's just, he didn't, he didn't really seem like a climber climber, I guess, you know, yeah, like he didn't really. He, we asked where he climbed outside in the area and he was like, oh. He I, never climbed I outside. Climb and he worked outside. at the gym for two months. He came, yeah. He came from Colorado. And- came from Colorado. Which is all just red flags, pretty much. And hey, wait a minute. Anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, they're they're shit they're shit talking Colorado, Chris, <laughs> via um, a gym employee in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of maybe the red flag is why did you leave Colorado to go to Minnesota? <laughs> now that's not nice. Yeah. <laughs> no, Minnesota's a lovely place. All right, a lovely place, unless you're a climber. <laughs> oh, he's given us our test. We watch our little video on YouTube. They have like a video tutorial, not a lead climbing one, just like a general gym etiquette type thing. And they make us sign some waivers. And then they, um, this kid pulls out a rope from the, like, they're just gym ropes. And uh, he, I decided to go first. I get my shoes on. 
he, you know, asked me what's a bad clip, what's a Z clip, um, what's a correct clip. We do that whole thing. I tie in. Let me just jump in real quick because I had a, a fantastic belay test experience where the employee uh, confused back step with back clip. And so mm-hmm. his his instructions to us when we were doing our lead test was no backstepping. Like that was like part of the the <laughs> the instructions he gave us to not in order to pass the test. And I we we came to like assume that he meant no back clipping, mm-hmm. but it was no backstepping. And so we were like, okay, like we just have to climb like stick straight on, stink like bug. straight on, like, <laughs> stink bug style, just <laughs> like Daniel Woods and hold like, your arms. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. I guess we could use no technique and try our, to get up the roof, but <laughs> our friend Annie Salo has, has recently texted me about how he's finding that to be starting to become more common. This this misconception of what a back step versus a back clip is. Oh, really? Actually, yeah. Oh, that's like, interesting. Yes, it's he's, a he's heard out. it in the wild. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's out of the lab and into the wild. Okay. All right, let's keep going. And we check ourselves. We're like, okay, like maybe he just doesn't want to say anything or some shit, but we're just like, okay, like, you know, like my not looks good. And she's like, yeah, your not looks good. And like your Grigri's locked or whatever. Like everything was yeah. good. And in past Libre tests, like I've definitely had people ask, like, what do you look for in your figure eight? Like before you climb and like, like, what do you check for in your partner that's playing you? Like that it's locked and through both plates, just like standard things. And he definitely did not, do anything address anything like that yeah it was great <laughs> it was just we didn't, didn't think, think anything of it we we're like oh he must just think we like know what the hell's going on and he doesn't want to act like or he just wants to act cool sort of maybe you know maybe or he's just trying to be laid back trying to be laid back but anyway we do the little checky thing and then um he tells us okay clip the fourth bolt climb up to the fifth like you're gonna clip it pull up some rope to clip and then fall before you clip the fifth bolt. And we're both like, what the fuck? Are you sure that's what you want us to do? You know? And I, I'm looking at the bolts and I'm like, there may be a little bit, the, for the first bolt's a little higher than the ones in our gym for sure. It was like maybe 10 feet off the ground. Versus, yeah, like our first one, we always skip the first bolt and clip the second. And then I was thinking, okay, like maybe they just do this. Like uh, maybe it doesn't turn out bad, but we both knew and we've <laughs> climbed a lot. Like we're not like some gumbies, like, for sure we knew that this was a fucking bad idea but we didn't think about it we were just like okay like we quizzed him for maybe a minute like are you sure you want us to do this it seems like maybe a bad idea and he's like no this is what we do for the test i'm like okay like they're doing this every single day like it must be fine and i yeah and And we clarified with him multiple times it was like so you want to have a handful of rope out and then fall like he can't just be at the bolt like I kind of questioned it a lot, and he was like, no, he needs to be acting like he's clipping and then fall. So Jesus. Simulating a fall while clipping. And I was like, and I was like what? what? <laughs> All right, I'm just going to pause that for a second so we can ruminate on this situation for a second. This is ridiculous. <laughs> This I mean, is a ridiculous like, situation. That's like the thing that all sport climbers like have nightmares about, right? I know. <laughs> It's like the worst fall you can take. Yeah, with rope it, you in go your hand. so much further than you think you should when you mm-hmm. pull up slack and mm-hmm. you fall. And then also, usually your your belayer is like desperately pulling rope in, 
you know, so you don't actually get like a good catch either because they're like, holy shit, they're off, you know? <laughs> you know, that reminds me though, I was at Movement in Boulder. I think it's a move. I don't know. Whatever the gym's momentum. I don't know one what they're called. Yeah. Anyhow, it definitely starts with an M. One of those gyms and uh, Porter, you know, Alan Porter, mm-hmm. um, he's there and he's old school, like core. And, <laughs> and he, I was trying to tell him, I'm like, look, dude, cause he belays the old school way with a Grieger. And I'm like, you can't do that. He's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, you can't belay like that. They're going to bust you. And so he's all like, he took this, the stance of like joking with the guy a ton. And so he climbs up for his fall and actually he's up there and he's like, the guy's like, oh, take a fall now. And then Porter actually like starts acting. <laughs> he like goes into <laughs> acting Gumby mode and he actually does sort of pull out a handful of rope. And I was like, I literally said this. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Cause he's all like, oh, I'm supposed to fall, huh? And he like pulls out this big handful of rope and he's not that high. Like he's over on the top rope walls, you know? Like I was, I thought for sure he was going to like, jump off and and also you know he's 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 a bit heavier than me so i thought he was gonna like jump off and i was like no and i caught him before he i i you know he dropped the rope and i pulled some in before he fell off but yeah i thought he was gonna end up like right next to us uh, like an inch off off the off the padding so but but this this person did not tell him to do that yeah i like throwing in like wild cards for the belay test or sometime like just like launching the double dyno on the five nine jugs between holds you know just to mm. keep them on their toes you know what i'm saying um all right let's keep going you have to do that for a lead test but you know you just kind of blindly like we just blindly we followed blindly followed and it's just crazy that like how complacent you can be to someone that like is testing you and has like this little piece of like authority over you maybe of whether you pass but this kid is a fucking nimrod is a thing so anyway we i do (laughs) i go up there and i kind of like get my waist pretty close to the bolt so that i don't have that much slack out and i pull up the rope maybe like six inches eight inches but the next bolt in this gym is like far farther away than our gym it's like maybe six feet almost in between bolts and in our gym, it's like four. So like every super bolt's close. super close. And I'm like, shit, like my feet are at the next bolt. Like I'm only four bolts above her and she's like 100 pounds and I'm like 150 pounds. I don't really think about it. And I just like look down and go, okay, I'm going to fall. And I fell and I just fucking clobbered her pretty much. <laughs> and and she, in, in most situations, it would have been like, whoa, that was crazy. But unfortunately, she has like pre-existing issues with getting hit in the head pretty much and yeah uh, and i i deal with like daily headaches and like all the chronicness of like traumatic brain injuries and that's why we're here in rochester minnesota and it was just like really shocking to then get like absolutely clobbered get fucking clobbered yeah and it was like by no means it was just like holy shit i just can't believe that just happened yeah, and then if people came up to us, and then he was like, oh, you should have stood further back from the wall and, like, stood over to the side away from, like, directly below the bolt line, kind of. And she wasn't standing directly below the bolts, but, you know, like, she was probably three feet from the wall, maybe, and, like, kind of in line with the bolts. 
And we're like, dude, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, why would she stand far away from the bolts? She would have just gotten freaking plowed into the wall and gotten smashed by and me. And there would have been more rope out. Yeah, yeah. I would have hit the ground, honestly. If I had if I had a whole full handful of rope out, I would have hit the ground 100%. Yeah, it was it, damn close. It was damn close. And uh, it was just a crazy fucking situation for sure. And it's probably, like, worth... It's like at some point like it's worth maybe yeah like yeah like there should be some psa like you should check your shit i don't know it's just crazy because we knew better 100 percent. like we we are i've climbed for over 10 years and i'm 25 and she's pretty okay i think she's not too jacked up but it was crazy and yeah that's the word peace let's just recap so this okay. poor girl is suffering from a head injury from getting hit right. by a rock, mm-hmm. doing some of the sick new routing that they're doing in Montana, which they're putting on the map and putting on blast right now on the run out. Right. Um, just kidding. Um, anyway, yeah, she has this horrible head injury. They're at like one of the premier clinics in the U.S. to look at this kind of thing. And because they're out there, they decide to go check out the local gym and they meet this fucking gym employee (laughs) who tells them (laughs) to take a giant whipper from the fourth bolt with rope out and the dude fucking hits his girlfriend in the head with his body falling from above the fourth bolt with an armful of rope out and makes her head injury worse. That's it. That that's the that's what the, the fuck? Uh, abstract. Um, yeah, it's that's. Like, I, I, is there an epilogue? I didn't read the email. Is there an? Of course, they didn't read the email. Is there an epilogue? Did they? Is did I'm they? I'm not sure. I'm not finished inter- their belay test. No, we did don't they know. Pass? No, we oh. don't know. We don't know what happened. I assume that they passed and they climbed in the gym, but I think she probably got fucked up and like, like it wasn't cool. Did then. To, tries to cover his ass by actually telling her she was doing the wrong thing by not being being too close to the wall. Yeah, like, yeah, like she should have been further away from the wall. <laughs> so the reason, <laughs> I, the re- <laughs> it's it's totally. I mean, that's absurd. the thing you see in the gym more often than anything <laughs> is them getting someone getting rocketed into the wall because they were standing too far away or at the or at the crag actually. I I once this is a kind of a tangent, but I once was at the uh, at the anti fill wall, and my friend was up on the anti fill, and he was above, like well above a bolt, like way up on the head wall, and his belayer was just chatting with the people, like not paying attention whatsoever, and she was like probably ten feet out from the wall, like sitting on that bench. And I saw him being like, take, take, can you please take, <laughs> like, I'm going to fall. <laughs> and she, <laughs> she was just talking to someone else and not listening whatsoever. And so he like pulled up rope and then took a massive whipper and just smoked his blair into the wall as like, like a punishment. Yeah. As basically. a punishment. <laughs> basically as a punishment. <laughs> That's the thing you could do with Grigri's, you know? <laughs> She gets knocked out. It's no big <laughs> yeah, deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about this is, so these guys are experienced climbers, as they as they said, and they're in this situation where there's this person who has far less experience, or you, you would one would assume has far less experience 
than no, that. his two months of indoor climbing is really got. <laughs> he was from speed. Colorado, though. He oh, was though, from that, Colorado. That's true. That's true. Um, but despite being from Colorado, he wasn't in. in He's in probably from like Sterling, though, yeah. dude. <laughs> What people don't understand about Colorado is like two thirds of it might as well fucking be Nebraska and or Kansas. Like not just, not just geographically, but also attitude wise. Like those people want to live in the theocracy of Kansas or Nebraska. Yeah, totally. Like they, they get pissed about all the liberal bullshit that comes out of the mountains They're They were bummed about weed getting, you know, legalized all the things. That make Colorado cool. They hate that. They hate it. So yeah, they, they wanna, we should just they want us to see. Yeah, I have this idea where we take the rectangle and we just slide it to the west, mm. like fifty miles, <laughs> or about maybe a little further. So it grabs Moab and Canyonlands Ooh. and the Uintas and the Wasatch and stops right at the base of little the border. Stops right at the base of Little Cottonwood Canyon. Oh. And then we seed the little bit, like you just literally move the rectangle. So we give a little bit away to Kansas and uh, right. Nebraska. Oh, yeah. I like so anyway. that idea. That's a good yeah. idea. Yeah. Can All we um, can we make can we make Vail the eastern border of Colorado? <laughs> <laughs> no, that'll be like East Berlin. We'll we'll coordinate off. It'll be like its own autonom- autonomous like area. <laughs> Anyway, that's an old reference. Uh, All right, <laughs> an old geopolitical reference. Anyway, what were we talking about? Yeah, so yeah, so the, I think that the interesting part of this story is that what do you do in like in these kinds of situations where there's this person who obviously doesn't know what they're talking about but has this authority over you? And I think most of the times you wouldn't encounter that in the wild. Like I can't imagine the situation of that. Like like that happening necessarily, but I guess you do sometimes, maybe it's like, you know, someone decides they're the leader of the group and they, they're like, this is how we do things. And you know that it's wrong and, and you're kind of reticent to speak up because you feel like you need to defer to, to someone for another reason. Like that kind of dynamic happens in, in climbing outside, but it certainly happens in climbing gyms. And, you know, I think that the belay test is this strange, strange moment of, you know, authority, not necessarily aligning with experience and the, yeah. And, and, and like, unfortunately, like there's a fallout to that. And, and especially if you have a traumatic brain injury, it could be, it could be a bad, well, yeah. bad day for you. I mean, that's like, I guess that's the, that's the sort of, uh, I don't know, the little spice in this story, because it, anyway, it would be a strange, I mean, what happened clearly is that, that whatever like half day training they did on the belay test, mm-hmm. like this kid got the wrong idea, but then nobody ever followed up or was in any supervisory position right. to realize that he was out there. Cause this can't be the first people he told to do that. Right. That he, uh, he took whatever the practice fall as pulling rope up as if you're going to clip, which mm-hmm. like nobody wants to do like mm-hmm. you avoid. I mean, that's why you grab the draw for fuck's sake is because you're worried that you don't have enough juice left to pull the rope, mm-hmm. you know, like it, anyway. So th- I, there's just this, like this communication breakdown. But I think, t- I mean, we live and we climb in these places where the gyms are populated by, you know, these like fanatic climbers, like the, the people who work there, you know, in Boulder or in Salt Lake City or whatever work there because they want a free membership and they 
they climb all the time. So I think that that's part of the thing too, is that we don't realize what's going on out in these places, right? Like Rochester, Minnesota, right? You know, where there's no pool of experienced climbers to work in your gym, right? You know, you have to train them, you have to create them to work in your gym because you're not just pulling from a quote unquote climbing community, you know? I mean, my only solution to this is that I feel like if you have, if you've been climbing for like 10 years or something, you should be able to give the belay tester a test to see if they're, mm-hmm. you know, competent enough to test you. And yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, it's some like, it's some like old timey dueling rule that like you pull out, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, those like, there's all that, all those duels and I like challenge sword you to fights a belay test. Yeah, exactly. I challenge you, sir. <laughs> you know, I'm evoking, you know, right 67 of the charter, you know, the gym climbing charter, like. You slap him in the I, face with your pencil belay glove. Exactly. <laughs> and you need to call for a for a second from the from the uh you know, the people who are climbing at the gym. You know? Someone has to step up to be your <laughs> The whole place goes quiet. Yeah. And everybody's Ooh. like you just hear the slap. <laughs> it's just silent. Ooh. <laughs> That's the third time this week that <laughs> gotten challenged (laughs) that would be cool because it kind of feels like that man when you're when you've been climbing for a long time and you're not necessarily a gym climber you definitely yeah it feels weird to be in there you know we've talked about it before getting dressed down by these like punks you know Mm -hmm. yeah so that would be awesome I think this is like a, an important PSA announcement. Like I, I think that people, like if that were me, I might recognize that pulling up a, you know, certainly a lot of rope would be a bad idea, you know, mm-hmm. but so maybe I would like try to like half acid or something like that. Well, that's what, isn't but that? It sounds I, like that's what, what this guy did. Yeah, I guess he did. He tried to like yeah, fake it, but he was just too far between the bolts. I mean, it's kind of fucked up. I will say that like when um when I had that belay test where that the kid was telling me that I I couldn't backstep like I I literally climbed the route without backstepping on purpose you know even though I could have mm-hmm. or would have enjoyed to use that technique to ascend this route I didn't I didn't do it because he said you know don't do that and I even though I knew that's not <laughs> what he really meant I just I did you it didn't for correct him. yeah I just didn't correct him and I just went along with it and so, yeah, this, this, this like weird thing of authority, I think is like kind of a, it's a strange thing. Cause like, what are your options? Like you want to just go climbing in this gym for a few hours and, you know, get some pitches in and, and get some exercise and you're kind of beholden to the strange rules of the, the person who's in charge that day, who, you know, might be, happen to be like a 19 year old kid from Eastern, <laughs> Eastern uh, Colorado. <laughs> chris hampton is the brains and brawn behind power company climbing and the co-host of the podcast by the same name his new climbing history podcast is called written in stone So um, we have Chris Hampton here from uh, Power Company Climbing, and uh, we're here to talk about a new podcast that 
just released today, I believe, or today. Um, I guess I have this important question for you, which is, you know, you run your own business, you have infant, not quite an infant, somewhere between toddler and infant, whatever those are called. Yeah, she's um, toddling now. She's toddling. Yeah, she, you're a you're a stay at home dad. You have another podcast that's part of your collective there at the power company, and now you've started another podcast. And so I guess my question is, what the fuck are you thinking? <laughs> I ask myself that same question multiple times a day. But seriously, um, just, what, what's the inspiration for uh, for doing this one? And then we'll talk about what it exactly is. Yeah, I mean, mostly I just like to make shit. Like, I, I just want to keep making things, and I want to keep changing what I'm making. Uh, I'm not happy doing the same thing over and over and over. And I admire the people who are and who do it really <laughs> well. Um, I just don't have that in me. I want to keep changing it. And uh, the inspiration for this one was I had done a, a podcast called Hip Hop Taught Me Everything that is a sort of similar format. And I really enjoyed researching and telling the stories of some of my favorite songs that, that taught me big life lessons. And I started thinking about climbing in terms of like, the internet is this interesting thing nowadays where all the information is out there, but it, it's not well collected in one place and in a linear fashion. So I wanted to, to really tell the stories of some of the most important ascents and I thought a good way to break it up would be to go decade by decade and, you know, pick 10, which was ridiculously hard to do uh, once I started making a list and, and just tell those stories um, in, in, the, in the vein of like, you know, a, a John Long type of mythological sort of a story. Yeah. So um, is, it, is the name of the podcast written in stone? Is that what you're calling it? Written in stone. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great name for a for that show. And uh, we've listened to some of your episodes already. So you have a unique style of, of storytelling. I, I think that that word mythology is an interesting one that you chose to use. I noted a, um, yeah, a certain kind of uh, trying to like instill a grandness to what it is that you're discussing. So yeah. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about the style of, of your storytelling and how you, I don't know if you've put much thought into like choosing that style over a different one, but what, what, do you, how would you like describe your, um, your approach to telling these stories? Like I've become a curmudgeon as I'm sure both of you can relate to Not in me. a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I found myself like really having this wrestling match with history, like in a, in a lot of ways it can inspire us and motivate us. And then in a lot of ways it can also hold us back if we're, if we romanticize it too much or hold on too tightly to uh, the last generation's ethics and ideas. And I just decided that what I wanted to do was in the same vein of like, you know, John Long, Kelly Cordes, these people who can give the details, but also make it sound like this grand, larger than life, you know, fictional thing, even though it's a mostly true story. And I just wanted to try and do that with these, these climbers and these ascents and these stories that I find really inspiring. I could very easily slip into my curmudgeon 
storytelling style, um, which I also really like. But I think the the grand sort of vision fits this better. Yeah, the curmudgeon lane is is filled pretty well filled. In, in podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> you get a new one, it would be good. Um, I mean, when, when you're talking about the, the running joke, of course, with uh, particularly John Long is, as you know, often the, the sort of, if not stretching the tr- truth, at least, um, you know, the, the whole don't let a, the, the truth get in the way of a good story. Like, where do you fall on that line? I mean, are you pretty married to the facts? Are you, are you like, uh, you know, going in, sending it over to, to your fact checker to make sure you got it all absolutely correct? Or are you just getting the big ideas? Well, what's your, what's your plan with that in case, you know, J, JB Trebeau wants to sue you later for libel? <laughs> I've been down that road. Um, at first, I was trying to be as factual as possible. And, and then I realized that we don't really know what the facts are. Like I would read conflicting stories from the main character you know this happened and then i'd read another story where they're saying this other thing happened and i'm like our memories are fallible anyway so why not get the big ideas i i can feel totally okay making up some dialogue and some thoughts that are going on and and if i get some of the details wrong that's okay. I have reached out to a lot of these people to try and confirm some details. And I have gone back and changed things in the episodes to make sure the details are correct. But a lot of the things are just, I think they're wrong in the, the historical record. Um, for instance, there's an episode on Hubble and Ben Moon claims he did it. And I might get these numbers wrong, but I think he says on his 20, 24th birthday, like the day after his 24th birthday or something. But I looked at the years and it's actually the day after his 25th birthday. And I was like, am I doing this math wrong? Because for some reason, counting the years you've been alive is a a tough thing to do. So I went and did the math and had other people do the math. And everywhere online, I think Ben Moon has gotten it wrong when he actually did Hubble. But I just removed that and you know, made it the day after his birthday. So I'm trying to get the details right, but I also am not married to those. I think the bigger picture is the more important part. One like little kind of critique, curmudgeon pushback I might have yeah. from listening to one of your episodes um, about Lynn Hill was, um, I mean, I think that it's when in, in the process of, of adding color and kind of pr- like creating this uh, narrative that you're you're trying to convey, um, you know, with the Lynn Hill episode, you're really focused on the latent sexism of the day and so forth, and not latent, even just outright sexism of the day that Lynn yeah. faced. And, and that's a big part of her story, of course. And I, I'm positive that that was a big part of her story in reality. But th- there's also this risk of like kind of turning turning people into kind of, you know, characters or just I, you know, I'm I'm sure that some people held like sexist beliefs, but they weren't necessarily as front and center as perhaps you might come away thinking from from that. And it's a useful device. It's like you're trying to convey the the sense that sexism was everywhere and so forth. But it, I think it does. You run the risk of like kind of turning people into character. You know, um, what am I trying to say? Like character caricatures, caricatures. Yeah, of themselves. 
Yeah, totally. I I mean, that's why in the outro I say that this is based in facts, but I'm, I'm not going to let the truth get in the way of a good story. And I, you know, like especially in that one, I, I was very aware that I didn't want to paint Jibé Tribu as the villain entirely, even though in a lot of the stories of the 90s, he does come across as the villain. So I I read as much as I could from him and tried to reach out to him and then did find a quote where he said he sort of said the Lynn Hill thing in jest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was happy to hear you. Trying to there. provoke her. So I went back and added that. Even though my guess is he he made his like claim of saying it in jest way after the fact. Sure. Because right. he was just a twenty something year old, you know, idiot. Mm-hmm. Like we all were when we were twenty something years old. I, I love that you that you acknowledge that um because it is that's it's hard to know. It's I mean, and I'm interested to know exactly yeah. what the reality was too. And and I'm sure that um, you know, he we there's like these post hoc versions of stories that we tell ourselves and G Bay yeah. might even believe uh, you know, it, it, he might have uh, rationalized that away after it, he was made to look like a fool, you know. Totally. And um, and it, now 20 years past that rationalization has come to believe that that was the the way that he felt all along. And um, yeah. And so it's hard to know exactly what what the real truth is of that moment. And anyway, it's just a it's a it's a tough um, it's a tough line to walk. I think anytime you're trying to tell historical yeah. stories. I agree. And we've, we've definitely, my friend Riley Rush is, is helping me write some of these episodes and do some of the research. And we've definitely gone back and forth about, you know, what, what do we include? What don't we include? How do we get from this piece of the story to this piece of the story when there's nothing in the historical record and we can't get a hold of anybody to tell us or they don't remember. So it is tricky, but you know, so many of the stories that I grew up loving were absolutely fictional, you know, and, and I think we've turned a lot of those characters from the seventies into caricatures, the seventies and the eighties and, you know, even further back, um, to some degree. And, and I sort of like that mythology a little bit. Um, I sort of miss it as opposed to today's, like we have full access all the time and, it's hard to create a legend when you just get to see these big sins streamed live. You know, it's no longer a legend. It's just a, oh, I can go watch the video, mm. which has its benefits, but I miss the other way too. So when you, you know, you picked these, these, you said 10 ascents uh, from this decade and, and you had to narrow it down. And obviously when you're, when you're talking about the most important things, you're delving into at least history that, you know, folks our age and, and, and younger people who find themselves interested in this. And every generation has climbers that, that pop out that sort of quote unquote did their homework or enjoy doing their homework as far as like being interested in the past and in the, in the greatest sense, you know, despite our lament that, that nobody cares anymore. Um, mm-hmm. but point being is that you're taught you're into ground that, that has been well-traveled to a certain extent, you know, the just do it story, for example, is, you know, we know kind of like the basics that he wasn't, you know, it was sort of red tagged before. I think that was the phrase for it. And, and he went and did it anyway. And so when you're doing these stories that are, are well-traveled, like what, what do you find yourself looking for in the details as a storyteller 
Yeah, for I mean, sure. The pull-up and contest I, in, in the J.B. Trebeau one yeah. is kind of a fascinating <laughs> one. Yeah, you know? and and I had to like hold myself back from making that like cocaine story even right. bigger, you know? Because I'm yeah. like, oh, there's some cool drama here. But that's not the defining characteristic of J.B. Trebeau, you know? So I didn't want to overblow that story. Um, <laughs> Pun intended. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this sort of this sort of calls back to Andrew's question too and the concerns about like you know making a caricature of these people is that I really am trying to find the drama in there and play that up a little bit. And there's not always a lot of drama. And at first I thought, oh some of these are going to be a little bit bland, you know. I'm going to have a hard time fictionalizing enough of it without like crossing a line that I've drawn for myself uh, to create drama here. But what I, what I started to discover as I did more and more research is there's this interesting interplay between a lot of the characters. And when I was first conceptualizing this, it wasn't in a chronological order. It was just in, in what I thought was an interesting order. And once I started seeing these, these interactions between all these characters, I was like, I have to go chronologically now because in a lot of these stories, it's calling back to other stories or, you know, giving you a little foretelling of what's coming. And that drama over the course of several episodes, I think, became really interesting to me. So I'm looking for the drama and I'm also looking for cultural shifts and just just big like touchstone moments that that happen for the greater sport as opposed to just this person sent a hard thing. You know, what are those touchstone moments that happened and how can I play those up in an interesting way? When I was um, working at Rock and Ice, I issued a, a challenge to my fellow editors about not putting the word Stonemaster on the cover for at least like three <laughs> consecutive issues. And I think we made it like, you know, two or something, but it was like this, <laughs> it's impossible to not reference history uh, as a person who creates climbing media. And it's, it's yeah. something that we are always going back to and returning to. And um, I think, you know, it's interesting too, to maybe consider that the stone masters were my, you know, my coworkers generation or of, of heroes. And perhaps your, you know, our generation is, are going to be the, you know, the, post stone master sport climbers of the eighties and nineties and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how climbing media, you know, references that those decades, which have been maybe, you know, glossed over in a way that, um, in lieu of, uh, you know, focusing on stone master stories and, and of the, you know, prior to that. So, yeah, I don't know if there's a question there. I think it's interesting to just consider that. And, um, I guess it's a bigger question too, because part of the frustration I was feeling about not, you know, constantly telling Stone Master stories in every issue of Rock and Ice <laughs> was the fact that I felt that there was like great stuff happening in the climbing world currently that was yeah. being ignored. Um, and you know, you look at, you know, I don't know, Brooke Rabatou or so, I just picks any young crusher who's climbing really well right now, and and any ascent that they do. It's, it's almost impossible to mythologize that and put it into this cultural context and to like understand it in that deeper sense because enough time hasn't passed perhaps or because we're, we're yeah. 
the present just doesn't have the gravitas that the past does. And I don't know, I would just love to hear your thoughts just about why, I guess, why is history important for you to tell? Why do you, why are you drawn to these stories? Um, and do you see that as kind of taking space from maybe something that we could talk about in the present that's equally as interesting or important? I don't think it takes away from the present necessarily. I think the tough thing about the present is it, there aren't enough dots to connect yet. Like we have to, we have to wait and see what the, the important things were. Everything seems exciting, right? When it's happening, you know, and, and should, and I think that's really fun, but it doesn't go too far beyond fun until we have other dots we can connect. And that happens years later when we get to see how the culture shifted as a result of something that happened, so I think that's part of the importance of history is like looking back and pointing to these were the things that made these cultural shifts. This is where these ideals that we hold dear now came from. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think we also have to go a layer deeper because we tend to hold on to those ideals that were like the things we came up with, you know, or we, we like grew with and, in reality, those ideals at one time were the things that were like the old guard were pissed about and, and then it shifted and now we've become the old guard and we're pissed that new things are coming. You know, that's, that's how we become curmudgeons. I think is we, we wish it was the way it was when, when we were coming up. Um, but in reality, it just keeps shifting. And I think history for one thing is very important because it shows us that things keep shifting, things keep changing. And maybe that helps us accept change if we allow it to. So for me, that's one of the most important parts. And I also really believe in, and I, I think I've pulled this from hip hop the last several years, that giving flowers to our, uh, to the people who created the culture that we're, you know, trying to participate in while they're still there to accept the flowers and appreciate them. I think that's really important. Like I, I reached out to Lynn and told her, I'm making this story about you. I'm not going to let you hear it until it comes out, but it's out there. It's going to be out there, you know? And that's me trying to hand her her flowers a little bit in a, in a very public way. So that's something I've done with a lot of the people I'm talking to or about this season. Unless she, she thinks it's garbage. And if she thinks it's garbage, that's, you know, I did my best. So <laughs> your flowers okay. stink, dog. Um, <laughs> she made your boo. Might, might I, think I don't think garbage. she will, but, but. <laughs> you know, I, I was just thinking too about, you were talking about the mythology of kind of the stories and, and that you're, you're building on that. But also I, I find that history or these, you know, these things that can be more detailed can also break down some mythology that we have that mm -hmm. is sort of incorrect and maybe incorrect in a way that's that's uh, hindering the dialogue. And for example, <clears throat> I listened to an edit. I'm not. I don't think it's the final edit, but of the of the JB Trebeau just do it one. And there's there's this interesting thing in my head that people and you know my thing's been the 80s. Like I've been really open about that. Like on the Enorma cast is like being really interested in that as the lost decade. But mm -hmm. it's kind of like silly to do the, you know, 80 to 89 kind of thing. I think there was a pretty good 
stop and start at the beginning of the 80s between the Stone Masters. But then the mm. 80s and end of the 90s really leaked together. All the same people were, were just building on what they'd done. Um, but point being is that there's always been this myth that the French invented sport climbing and they were wimpy because they didn't want to like, you know, climb on gear and, and it was kind of, and the British mm. kind of created this myth that they were all basically pussies that couldn't, you know, couldn't climb hard without their bolts and without wrap bolting and everything else. And that's, it's funny because you only have to go to France and climb on a, a Patrick Allinger route to realize that despite the bolts, they're right. extremely bold <laughs> routes. And yeah. then also the fact that Patrick was was one of the greatest on-site climbers that's ever lived and has ever come before or after. And and so it's like, I liked how there was also that. You're like adding details that can kind of cut down on some of these myths that we have. You know, one of them we took on a while ago was that European climbers can't crack climb. You know, that was a myth. I think that's been utterly <laughs> yeah. destroyed in the last decade. Yeah. But it was something that Americans really held dear to themselves that they were somehow yep. the best crack climbers in the world. So I, I, you know, it's like both myth creating and sort of myth busting. Um, if you add enough details to the actual history versus just these uh, platitude type stories that we kind of tell each other, um, and and most of those stories we tell each other to bolster our own, you know, feelings of our national pride or or personal pride to kind of think we're better than than somebody else. Yeah, totally. And you know, I'm trying to slip in as many of those little little details as possible and and trying to call to even if I'm telling a story of, you know, just do it, I'm also trying to talk about all the other great French climbers and, you know, trying to pull in other names just just so those little, you know, tidbits get thrown out there and maybe that will cause someone to be like, "Oh, who was Patrick Elanger?" and let me go let me go look for this person, you know. But there's also the side of like, we tell ourselves a lot of stories just to sort of prop up our current um, trends or ideals or whatever. Um, for instance, just recently online, I noticed someone saying that, that when Katie Brown did Omaha Beach, it was immediately downgraded, like when she onsited it. And, and I had to step in and be like, actually that's not true it it was 13d at the time you know that's what the first ascensionist had given it it didn't become 514 until later so this whole story of it got downgraded after katie climbed it isn't true does that happen of course it happens and it has happened quite a few times you know bobby benzman on uh, better eat your wheaties in waco but it didn't happen in this katie brown scenario and i had just talked to katie a couple of days before so I felt like I had to correct that little little tidbit. And I do tell the story in the Katie interview of her on-siding Omaha Beach. And actually, that's become one of my favorite parts of this whole process that was sort of an on-the-fly thing. When I'm interviewing people to talk about how they were inspired by the ascents, I start the interview by telling them a story about themselves, you know, giving them their flowers right to their face, which is which has been really fun. Yeah, the Omaha Beach one's interesting because I took a little shot at that and um, was was summarily uh, put back in my place by Bill Ramsey because it, you know he he explained why it had been upgraded to 14A, which I won't get into because um, it has its own uh, sort of yeah. um, insult in it. But um, 
But yeah, but but then it's funny though because then he sent me this thing that he wrote up, I think for some maybe a Spanish magazine or something about its history. But I found his own kind of rearranging of of mm. it just a tiny bit. Um, thought like, yeah. oh, he's kind of telling this little bit of a revisionist history on to make themselves look a little bit more um, uh, magnanimous than they probably were at the time. Well, my my wife uh, does definitely remembers that moment. Um, much differently than I think Ramsey does. And they've often, they've sparred mm-hmm. about that. <laughs> I mean, it's like any memory, you know, exactly. the, the psychologists will talk about like, just even remembering a memory changes the memory, a, a subtle yeah. time every single time you do it. And they find that memories you haven't thought about in a long time are actually more accurate than the ones you think about all the time because you you change them every time. So history and memory you know, those two, the clashings of those two things, you know, that's, that's always been the push and pull of telling a history. That's been part of the both fun and challenge of, you know, writing about the nineties is that there's so many differing accounts, even from the same people, differing dates, differing years, differing partners, you know, all sorts of changes show up when people are remembering events. So who knows what the truth actually is? You know, we have a a general idea of it and we, I think we can point to the things that shifted the culture and our thinking. So those are the things I'm trying to zero in on more than like the, what's the actual truth? I don't know. Even if I wrote this down word for word out of a, a blog post, someone wrote, it may not be the truth. So so you're in the business of um, handing out flowers and not being a curmudgeon on a podcast, um, but are you going to perhaps uh, tackle or take down anyone from history that has, I don't know, uh, I don't know, are you going to look at any of the controversial ascents like uh, Refiner's Fire or something like that, or just like look at the, the less flattering um, ascents in history? Yeah, if if they were important uh, i will um i am looking at akira this season i've been doing as you know a ton of research on fred ruling and on akira and trying to talk to the people who who know and some of the people who've climbed it now and i went into that thinking i was going to be kind of you know joining the side of taking fred down but that's i don't think that's the side i'm ending up on um mm. So, so I tried to, <laughs> but, but I don't think I'm going that path at least this time. Uh, I do suspect I will at some point and I have no misgivings about that. You know, my, I think my track record speaks for itself that I'm not terribly afraid to, to point the negative things out if necessary. You brought up John Long, who is a writer. You're, you're researching all this stuff mostly in books, also scouring the internet with, you know, this, the grain of salt that comes with trying to find facts on the internet. Um, in the past, you know, someone like yourself would have written the book, you know, would have written it chapter by chapter, maybe a nice 10 chapter book about the nineties, et cetera, et cetera. But now we're podcasting. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. Awesome. Maybe if your kid doesn't get another ear infection, you'll find some time to write a book. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so, but I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the medium of podcasting. You're, you're a believer, you know, um, we're all believers yeah. on here. I, myself, you know, I, I've prof, 
prothletized, prothletized the the medium for a long time. But it's also there's been this flip a little bit. You know, it's almost become uh, a little bit of a of a satire. This idea of podcasting, yeah. Um, you know, which is kind of I think it's funny too. You know, I I've been telling my running joke with with people is that you know in the future newborns will be issued a podcast at birth. You know, you just get one and you you you, yeah. you don't get to decide what it is. You just have to do it, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of bumming me out because I believe in the medium. I believe in its power. I guess the same thing happened only over a much longer period of time with writing and, and publishing books. You know, there there was a publishing revolution and now anybody can kind of publish a book um, when they used to kind of have more importance. But uh, But what are your thoughts on, you know, using podcasting as a serious medium to entertain to to you know archive facts to you know whatever it is that you believe in podcasting as a medium um is it just that's talking and 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 production of sound is is kind of your wheelhouse or do you have a deeper belief in the medium i'll start it by saying this um in high school i was a i was really into skateboarding and and i was a pretty good skateboarder and then I remember, I have this very distinct memory of one day sitting in class and realizing that all of these other people in class had started skateboarding. And I'm like, fuck, this became popular. And I went home and I tore all my posters off the wall and I broke my deck in half and I stopped skateboarding. So I was like, I don't want to do the popular thing. (laughs) And that was fucking stupid. I should have kept skateboarding, <laughs> you know? So, so I don't have any problem with more people becoming podcasters. I think it makes it a little muddy for people trying to find good podcasts. But then what happens is it sort of weeds out the people who are just casually wanting to listen. I, I want the, the dedicated listeners, you know? So they're going to be there, I think. And for me... Yes, it's part that I, I have a background in sound and and that I, I really like creating um, uh, these audio things. But it's also that like I don't have I don't have a good sense of smell, so I don't have any memories tied to smells at all, but I have tons of memories tied to sound. And so for me that that sense really carries a lot of weight. Um, so I really like the idea of, of telling these stories in an audio format. And then I want to challenge myself, you know, um, I've done the, the interview show thing and I'll continue to do the interview show thing. And I've done the talking heads show thing and I'll continue to do that. But I also wanted to challenge myself to make something different than what was in the, the climbing space currently and try to tell these stories in an interesting way. And, and it was at the same time I was starting to write music again. And I was like, Oh, I can combine these things and I can try to make the music for these episodes, you know, try to channel a little bit of the nineties and write these stories and tell these stories. And, and it's a good learning experience for me, even though I don't really have the fucking time to do any of it. <laughs> So, Chris, I noticed in um, in your episodes, we don't hear from the characters themselves, in, in spite of the fact that um, they're still around and kicking and doing stuff. So, what's uh, what was the creative decision behind that? Number one, it was the the mythology idea. 
um, you know, that sort of started it. And we wrestled with this a lot uh, because I do have access to like, I, I could go do an interview with Lynn and, and put pieces of the conversation in there. Um, and I really like that podcast style too. Um, but I wanted to try something totally different. And, and I like the idea of giving someone flowers that they didn't help pick out, you know? So that's sort of what this is. I want to, I want to present them with something as opposed to just, you know, saying, Hey, let me talk to you for two hours and then I'll cut it up and you'll hear 10 minutes of yourself in this episode. I just wanted to present them with something and create this mythology around them, this sort of legend around them. And I really like that idea. And I have talked to a lot of these folks to get details, you know, like I touched base with Ben Moon to just see, hey, what shoes were you wearing when you did when you did Hubble? You know, I've seen several photos. You're wearing different shoes in the different photos. I'm curious which shoes you were wearing because I know some nerd wants to know what shoes was Ben Moon wearing, you know. So touching base with people and and getting those details while telling them, I've got flowers coming for you, but you know, you're going to have to wait has been, has been really fun for me. I I like that. I like that sort of anxiety. I like to put myself in these positions where there's some anxiousness to see whether the thing I'm making will be accepted or not. And I think this season is doing it a lot. And then I'm talking with, with today's climbers and you know, other climbers who were inspired by these ascents and by these people. And so far, they've been really excited to talk about their heroes and their, their favorite routes and these, these touchstone moments, as opposed to just talking about training like they end up doing on 99% of the podcasts out there. So that whole thing of not having the actual voice in there has been really fun. Um, Steve McClure just recently when I, I touched base with him to see if he wanted to talk about Ben and Hubble and he was like well have you talked to Ben like this doesn't make sense without his voice and then I explained the concept and he was like oh well hell yeah let's talk then you know this sounds great so I think people get it and it does seem strange at first because in the podcast landscape that's what we we get we get these you know the voices directly from them um, so definitely something I debated and battled with but I, I had to make my decision, so that's what I decided. You know, but as long as we do have you here, is it how many seconds on, how many seconds off if I'm doing my hangboard routine? Uh, it's it's 5.7 <laughs> seconds on is the ideal. And, and then, then a day in between. Then, yeah, approximately usually. 24 hours between hangs. Yeah. Perfect, that, I can do that. And no um, pinkies, don't yeah. use your pinkies. <laughs> Okay. Is that the new thing? No pinky. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> Everybody's talking no pinky now. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the business of podcasting as far as- Is there I mean, a business how, of podcasting? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's, that's also one of these things that's, you know, being created or, or yeah. not, or destroyed and created over and over again. But obviously we talk about our time. You, you have a kid, I have a kid, Andrew has kids. So you know, spending time on creative projects can be difficult. And yeah. when you put something out like this, it's also for other people. And so I, I'm always thinking like, yeah, I love doing it. And it was this like passion that I created. 
but I can't justify the time. And also I sort of get, you know, if, if you're out there consuming it, then maybe you ought to think about helping pay for it a little bit at, at the very least, yeah. you know? So, so what, what about that? I mean, how important is it, you know, you, you're, you're soliciting ads. I'm not sure if you have anybody on board yet. How important is that to the continuation? Because it's, you know, we, we, you and I both know, and have probably helped a ton of people start a podcast and to watch it fizzle out after a few episodes because they're like, Jesus, this is, this was fun and now it's work and now I don't have time to yeah. do it. So, um, yeah. How, how do those two things, creative, financial sort of, where do they mix for you and, and, uh, how important is it that people come on board? Because it's sort of a validation too, I think when, when, uh, sponsors or, or people want to give you a little bit of money to, to help, help you do what you're doing. Yeah. I, that's a real thing for sure. And I'm in a really lucky situation where power company has done well enough, especially with our, uh, more passive options that it gives me a chance to create things. It gives me some freedom to create things. And I was going to make this thing regardless, you know, I wanted to make it. So I was going to make at least one season uh, but I'm also lucky that my friend Emily, uh, Emily Holland, stepped in and said, why don't we try to sell this to brands? And I'm like, sure, I don't want to be in any of the meetings, but you run <laughs> with it, you. you know, and you can <laughs> get the percentage. And she's worked her ass off to to sell it. And we have a, a great full season sponsor, Tension Climbing, this season. Uh, who stepped up in a really big way and are excited about the the show. And then we've got uh, a couple potential sponsors for the second half of the season, you know, as the new year flips uh, and budgets become open again. I agree with you. It is a validation. I, I do like, you know, working with these brands and, and hearing and feeling their excitement about these stories. And on the other side, I'm like, I'm going to make this thing whether you join or not. You know, um, like I said, I'm, I'm lucky to have the freedom to do that because this thing, I'm not getting paid what I've, the, for the time I've spent, you know, no, nowhere near it, which is okay with me. I just, I like making shit. Do you ever find yourself falling into that same old trope that climbing has no meaning? That it's a useless, selfish game that helps no one? Well, on our latest Patreon bonus episode for Rope Guns Only, author and professor C.T. Nguyen sets up a philosophical top rope for us. Finally, concluding that climbing is one of the ultimate games, and games are essential to living, ergo, climbing is in fact the meaning of life. So, if you want to once and for all cast off the guilt of blowing off everything else to go climbing, Go to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and become a rope gun today. Receive Teen Wins stimulating talk and a lot more bonus material. Sometimes serious, often controversial, frequently hilarious, always extra. That's patreon.com slash runoutpodcast to support the runout today. Andy Mann is one talented dude. He's a National Geographic photographer, director, and storyteller musician. This title track is one of six songs off his new EP called Full Moon Fight.
complaints She's working her way Through every constellation And I dance among the waves Upon the same old sky As dippers turn to hearts And stars rearranging We're in a full moon fight From distant shores Dulling our swords In a lighthouse The keeper's gone But the flame burns on Still the breakers roll Just listen to another episode of the Runout Podcast. If you like our show, the best way to support us is by giving us money. We don't care about iTunes ratings. You can share it with your friends or don't, whatever. 
but we are 100% listener supported because we believe this is the best way to stay independent, say what we think, and be accountable to the most important people in our lives, which is you, our listeners. To support our show, check us out on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. For as little as $5.14 a month, you can become part of the Runout Nation and get bonus episodes that will titillate your ear holes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode. Mm-hmm.